What's up, everyone? Welcome back, or if you haven't listened before, welcome. I took a few weeks off to stockpile some interviews and officially rebrand the podcast, so you're listening to the first episode of what is now the Future of Music podcast. I wanted to branch out of just Web3 and start talking about music and tech more generally, especially with topics like AI becoming so prevalent. Technology is going to drastically change the way music is made, monetized, and consumed over the next decade, and I want to learn about all of it, and I'm bringing you along for the ride. I've also been getting super involved with Float, an experimental label and media company helping independent artists create music and sell digital assets, and we've decided to partner for the podcast, so I'll now be releasing new episodes on YouTube under their Float TV channel. So lots of exciting stuff going on, and thank you for tuning in. Anyway, this episode is a conversation with Daniel Allen. If you're involved in Web3 music, you've probably heard of him, but if not, Daniel is one of the biggest names in the game. He's had some historic NFT sales, including sellouts of 1,000 editions for his Glasshouse project and 2,500 editions for his Criteria EP with Rio Cragen. He's also fresh off his first-of-its-kind $1 million artist seed round capital raise, led by Coop Records and Palm Tree Crew Crypto. We dive into that and talk about his music and Web3 background, how the Web3 landscape has changed, how it compares to releasing on DSPs, and so much more. I hope you learned something new from today's episode. Here is Daniel Allen. Yeah, it's good to meet you. I've actually seen you play a couple times, but I don't think we've actually met before. Oh, let's go. Where did you see me play? Um, the first time was Wave World at NFT NYC last year. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that was that was fun. That was a fun event, and that was a fun set for sure. Um, yeah, and then fun. and then most recently in Denver, I was just there a couple weeks ago for ETH Denver. Oh, let's go! Oh, so, yeah, that that music NFT kickback was a fun time. That one was crazy, huh? That was a, that was a vibe. Those are both really cool shows, though. Yeah, definitely cool event. Like both really cool venues too. I like that that place that Cooper set up for the for Denver was really cool. For sure, yeah, it's interesting. My DJing's definitely come like a long way since that show. I mean, I remember like the uh that first one was like I was just trying to basically create like a vibe because I remember like during NFT NYC that week I had like seven shows or something. So like I wanted each one to feel a little bit different. I remember that one. I was like, all right, I'm gonna go for like this like European like rooftop type of a set and then for most of my shows nowadays i'm basically just trying to play like 90 percent of my own music like give or take mm-hmm. it was definitely like an adjustment but it's a lot of fun like both both like versions of those shows are fun for sure yeah definitely how do you how do you go about like preparing for a set and maybe finding other music that you want to play dude soundcloud is like just a gem because not that many people use it anymore and i still feel like the best shit lives on soundcloud to be honest like i just think that's where like the unhinged 14 year olds like go to like (laughs) rock music you know um but honestly man it just depends i mean like i'm i can't announce like what i'm doing this summer but i'm playing like my biggest shows that i've played um so like right now my show experience is basically me running around los angeles with the usb uh and basically playing like close to like free shows uh and just plugging in and seeing if i can win people over with like a lot of my own music or like tricking them into it in a way so like i'll take like i'll take like a demo that i'm working on and then i'll put like a famous like acapella over it you know and then i'll just start to like maneuver like do people okay like they're singing it because it's a really like popular song but do they actually like some of the stuff i'm doing on the production and like really a lot of that's like a pretty uh cool position to be in because normally i've just like up until i don't know like past six months i normally just make music and then like when I play it live, I find out, you know, for the first time if it's good or not <laughs> when I'm like actually playing the full masters. Whereas right now it's just kind of like working on a song, play it out a little bit, adjust, you know, maybe like this part's a little bit too long. This part's a little bit too short and just kind of adjusting it in real time has been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, that's cool. Are you how often are you playing shows in LA? Uh, it's kind of sporadic. I would say like two to three a month, give or take. Kind of yeah. somewhere, somewhere yeah. in that world, somewhere in others. I feel like that's a uh a fun frequency. It's not like twice every weekend. It's not like taking up your whole time, but you're playing consistently. Yeah, it's just giving me like a week and a half to like a week and a half in between shows to kind of like like put one or two more demos together, like adjust some stuff, you know. So it's pretty yeah. good. Case. I mean, I don't know how long that'll last, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm grateful for it right now for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Are you? How long have you been in LA? Moved out here January of 2020. Um, so a little bit over three years. Oh man, right before COVID. <laughs> oh my god, that's a that's a story in itself. <laughs> We could talk about that the whole podcast. So <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we could leave that for another conversation. Uh, where are you at? Where are you? Based? I'm in I'm in DC. I'm from Baltimore, but I've been I've been living in DC for a little over a year now. Oh, cool, cool. My girlfriend was just there last week. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's uh, I've gotten a lot more involved in like the local music scene recently, and there's a lot of cool shit going on that people from outside of DC don't really realize. Like the kind of music. Really- um i mean there's a lot of good house music a lot of good techno producers like there are some i haven't got i'm not that in touch with like the you know indie or rock or like band scene here but there are some local bands for sure but um you know a lot of local stuff going on in electronic music definitely oh very cool that's awesome um yeah it's fun uh where where are you from what what and what brought you out to la um from families from ukraine um i grew up a lot of my life in louisville kentucky um so very i guess like if you think of kentucky you probably think of like farms and like horses and shit and i would say generally that's true except for where i'm from i think it was just like a normal i don't know it's like an, it's not like a big city by any stretch of the imagination but it has like cool pockets it's like i don't know if you've ever been to los angeles but it's kind of like silver lake ish is like Reminds me a lot of Louisville, just kind of like, I don't know, a bunch of kids running around, like, you know, skateboarding, smoking weed, like, you know, or, or or like the kids who are just athletes. I don't know. It's just like, it's just like a small town vibe, but not like tiny town, you know? Um, and then what brought me to, what brought me here? Um, I mean, dude, I've just kind of had this like, you know, plan, I guess, of like being out here ever since I was, you know, 16. Like I was just like, you know, I, it's also a long story, but I just stumbled into a music festival, fell in love with, um, fell in love with electronic music. And I was like, I'm going to do that one day. And that was like 10 years ago. I was 16. So what festival was that? Well, Lollapalooza. Okay. Word. That's on the bucket list for sure. I haven't been there, but. Oh my God. It's the best one. I, and my, I mean, I've been to a lot. I haven't been to, there are some big ones I haven't been to. I haven't been to like Coachella. Uh, I basically made like a pact with myself. Um, I think it was like, Lollapalooza, I want to say like 20, hmm, must have been 2017 or 2018, one of those two. And I was just like, I'm never going to go to a festival until I play one. So I've been on like a, been on like a five year, no festival, no festival hiatus. Damn, just waiting for that gig. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it, uh, hopefully it pans out. <laughs> Cause I've been, yeah. Missing. Yeah. I hope so. Um, yeah. I definitely hit couple festivals every year but uh what do you got where do you go what are some go-tos um bonnaroo was my first music festival i definitely want to go back there um but i haven't really done many twice like i've done firefly a couple times because it's pretty close to here like the area 
No, that's on the list also for sure. I heard that's a cool one. Yeah. Um, three points in Miami last year was really fun. Like really smaller, yeah, I... like less overdone like production, but the lineup and the lineup is a little bit smaller, but um, it was cool. Just like a really cool, more low key vibe. The music was great. There was cell my service homie, everywhere. My homie played that. My homie played that, and I think he invited me to it, but I couldn't make it out. I think I was like working or something in the studio. But three points is sick. It looks Miami is just a crazy music town in general, just like absurd. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely blew my head open. I I got really into. I got like very inspired by dance music after, after I was in Miami in like November. Like I was just like I, I was there in November, and then I was there again in December, and I was just like, Fuck, dude, like I need to. I really want to make dance music, so. Yeah, I'll I'll be dropping some dance records this year for sure. All right, cool. I'll I'll look out for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. did you? So when did you start making music? Was it around that Lollapalooza festival? Or, um, oh, man, how long form is this, bro? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to bore you too much. I mean, kind music was definitely like a big part of my life. It just in every capacity growing up. Like my mom did music, my dad did music, so it was always like around that neither of them did it professionally but like when you immigrate from the soviet union it's kind of like you got to drop what you're doing and try other shits like my dad was doing odd jobs my mom was doing odd jobs and shit um but you know it was always like around the house you know somewhat and then as like as like a you know you know russian kid ukrainian kid however you want to say it like you got to take piano lessons so i was you know i was i was doing that whole thing and uh it was whatever but then like in middle school i went to middle school in like the projects in louisville and then i noticed that there were a bunch of kids who were like freestyling in between like classes and shit. And so I, I kind of went up to one of them one day and was like, yo, like, where do you record? And he was just like, I don't. Uh, and I was like, oh, like, I bet I could figure this out because I listened to a lot of rap music. And then I, I, I had a Studio Projects B1 microphone and uh, was like, I saved up a hundred bucks to get it, set up shop in my closet and started having kids come over. And, you know, I was doing that as I was like starting high school. Um, and then, you know, I, I went to... Uh, did that for my first couple of years of high school. I went to Chicago to visit my older brother and um, met up with like a camp friend there. And he was like, Hey man, like Lollapalooza this weekend. Do you want to, you know, I, you know, are you going to go? And I was like, it's like, dude, I don't, I don't know. Like how much are tickets? He was like, Oh, it's three, 400 bucks. I was like, no chance. Like, you know, I can't do that. Happened to have 200 bucks in my wallet. Like absurd, like absurd, absurd, absurd coincidence. Like I, I never had any money growing up. So just like, I still to this day don't know where the fuck it came from, but I had two hundred dollars <laughs> in my wallet, scalped a ticket, and then went by myself and saw Above and Beyond play. And um, I recognized some of the music from an iPod my brother gave me as a kid. Um, then I fell in love with electronic music, came back to Louisville, and was like, "Where do you guys get your beats?" And they were like, "We uh, we ripped them off YouTube." And I was like, uh, "All right, cool. Well, I'm gonna like take my stab at like trying to, you know, can I make some beats for you?" And so that's kind of where where it all started for me. Cool, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. That's cool. You started recording people so young in middle school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely like recording is like a loose term, but I was definitely like trying to uh, I, I guess like, you know, because like being a producer in a room means two things, right? It's like it's like now it's become a lot more about being like the front facing identity of a brand. You know, I, I think people like Martin Garrix and like, you know, even the chain smokers in a lot of ways did that. But I think like in the in the 70s, there was a guy named Phil Spector who like executive produced a lot of the Beatles shit. And he like wasn't that crazy of like a musician. He just got the best takes out of John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And like a lot of my early sessions recording people, like I didn't have any technical know-how and like of like, you know, I, I I could barely run cables to like 
set up a microphone, you know, and everything was all like bullshit. It was all on like cracked software, you know, like I was using Sony acid pro to record people. And, uh, but I, I, I kind of figured out how to be a vibe in room at least a little bit, you know? Um, and I, I still like learn about that shit every day. So yeah, I don't know. It just came from, I guess, like a natural, uh, I don't know, wantingness to, to be a part of music. Yeah, definitely. There, yeah. There's like two sort of types of producers in that way. There's like, um, and I think of like Quincy Jones versus like, um, fuck, what's his name? Started Def Jam and, and was recorded a bunch of bands. Why can't I think of his name? Just came out with a book about the creative no, process. About... Oh, Rick, Rick Rubin. Rubin. Rick Rubin. I don't know why that didn't come to me. But like, yeah, there's like those two types of producers. There's like, what is like know, here somewhere? But anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I've started listening to it on audible but i definitely want to read through it at some point um, is it his but voice? yeah yeah he he narrates it nice. yeah um but yeah like he doesn't have any musical background or technical knowledge but he's one of the greatest producers ever because just because he's like you know like you said getting the best takes out of people um and then there's a producer like quincy jones who is like actually writing all the music and getting all the instrumentation done and shit like that but um yeah it's interesting to hear about the difference there yeah, for sure. Um, how about Web three? How did you discover Web three, and then what made you want to like? Was there a moment that clicked where you're like, "All right, I gotta take this more seriously"? Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I've been, I was kind of like, you know, like I told you, I moved here like three years ago, and it was very much like music was my full time job, right? But it just wasn't like, you know, it wasn't the sexy way of thinking about music, man. Like I, like I thought, you know, that I was gonna sign a massive record deal, a publishing deal. I'm a big record, like whatever. I mean, dude, I moved out here with 200 bucks and like 250 peanut butter sandwiches I made and was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to like be scrappy and figure out a way to make a living. And so I started mixing and mastering for other people. I started producing, you know, for other people. I play shows for like 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, like whatever, you know, just like kind of getting around. And then I kind of started to find this pattern after a few months going into that summer that was like, all right, like signing short-term record deals. So I would sign like, you know, three, three, I don't think I ever signed more than three tracks. I think one time I signed four tracks, but it was just like, you know, three, three records for like, you know, a couple grand. I'm paying my rent for like a month or two at a time. Like, it's just like, it was just my way of like sustaining myself, you know? So I did that for like a year and a half, just kind of this, you know, almost like felt like I was just like applying, like you're fulfilling like job listings, you know? Um, March of 21, I used the remaining of like the last recording budget I had to throw a show in my friend's backyard. I mean, and by that it was like, I think it was like 1500 bucks or something. And I, I threw a show in my friend's backyard. I got all this equipment. I literally remember going to his house and setting up like all the silver, like meddling and piping and all that shit to make like a mini stage next to his pool. Invited everyone in the music industry that I could. Um, and I set up the show into two halves. The first half was like my release music. The second half was a bunch of like the unreleased music. Um, and uh, my whole point was to actually sign like a bigger record deal. Cause in my mind, I was like, if I have a lot of money or if I have like a, like 50 grand up front or whatever, like I'm able to very counterintuitive way of thinking at the time, but I'm like a 22 year old kid. It was just like, it's like, all right, like I'm, I'm going to, uh, maybe it was 23. Uh, anyways. Um, I was like, yeah, like if I have like a lump sum up front, I don't have to think about doing all these odd jobs. I can just kind of focus on the music that I want to make for like X amount of time, drop an album, do whatever. Anyways. Uh, after the show, four people came up to me for the unreleased music. Three of them were like A&Rs, like various labels that I had like somehow finessed into like bringing them. Um, and then one of the people was Cooper, who I had met a few months beforehand. And he was kind of like, hey, man, like, 
you know, I love your music. He had always come to me. He was always damning me and being like, I love your shit. I love your shit. Um, you know, just kind of as a fan. And then, um, you know, he came up to me. He's like, if, if there's a world that I can help you put your music out, let me know. Um, so I didn't think anything of it. I kind of got my first offers in the next few months um, or in, in the next month, really. And they just honestly didn't feel like they were solving like very many uh, of the problems that I thought they were going to solve. You know, like I didn't think that they solved like a problem of me, like being creatively free or like, you know, like owning a, a larger majority of like my music, whatever. So I kind of I ran out of options and then was at this weird, like kind of standstill turning point in my career where it was just like, OK, like I could sign a major deal or I could just 180 and do something that no one else was really doing at the time, which was dropping NFTs. And so I kind of went back to Cooper. I was like, what do you have in mind? He was like, you should drop NFTs. And I was like my only kind of proxy or frame of reference was like Beeple, you know, and, and, uh, and I had no idea what music NFTs were. It wasn't really wasn't a thing at the time. And, and he was like, I was like, listen, man, like I don't, I make beats. I can't do, I can't finesse this visual art shit. You know, like I, I just make beats. He was like, no, no, no. Like my homie, Jeremy is starting this platform called catalog. All you need is like a wave file and a, and a, and a cover art. And I was like, all right, wave file. I could do a cover art. I could probably like finesse or figure out how to do it. Um, so that's what I did. Like that, that was, I, Literally that next week, I, I made a record, literally plugged plugged my laptop into my Honda Accord, brought a disposable camera. Um, and I, I was like, you know, I, I told Jeremy, I was like, can you try to put me on the front page on catalog to see if like anyone notices it? And I'll never forget, like, you know, at 9 a.m. I made the beat. At 1 p.m. I got the film developed to make the cover art. And then I went home and then at 5 p.m. I had sold my first NFT to like a stranger for one ETH, which was like, I think it was like three grand at the time or something. Or Yeah, damn. One ETH for your first sale. That's kind of wild. Yeah. And that, 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 that was the moment to answer your question where it was just, it was, it was my, what the fuck moment, because it wasn't like, you know, when you, when give or take is around a million streams on Spotify. And at the time I had, you know, like two songs that had a million streams on Spotify, neither of which I own the masters for. And so I kind and it of takes, you know, nine to 12 months plus to actually get paid for those streams. Yeah. And that's like best case scenario. Like, <laughs> right. you know, um, and so I kind of, I think that was one of the fundamental turning points for me where it was like wow like i'm like a piece of my music was valued as like fine art which is like just a, just a, like it, it it wasn't valued as how many tiktok followers i had it didn't value it wasn't valued on like it wasn't predicated on like the song blowing up or not or having a viral moment or like a marketing campaign it was just like kind of just made a record someone valued it at this as this piece of art for three grand or whatever they took it and that was like the end of the transaction and it kind of was uh i don't know just a very eye-opening from like from a lot of perspectives as someone who was kind of, you know, just hustling and trying to find a way candidly to like make a living in Los Angeles as an independent artist, you know? Um, so like, obviously my first, you know, my first intention, like my, my first intuition was like, let me just run that shit back. I did it again a couple of days later, sold another one. By the end of the month, I had sold like five or six NFTs on catalog. All strangers, Cooper had one of them. He definitely got the ball rolling and then everyone else was no longer strangers now. But at the time, obviously, I, I didn't know anyone in like Web3 or, or crypto or NFTs in general. And so I kind of caught the bug, you know, and then it all kind of spiraled from there. Yeah, it's definitely spiraled from there, man. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how do you think you've seen that's kind of crazy? Like you just started putting out on catalog and people started buying them up. I guess catalog had those are the early days. Yeah, like right. Like those during those days, like people would literally scroll and there would be like 10 artists to choose from. So like my my chances of being noticed were pretty high. There were more people looking at the platform than artists that were on the platform, you know, mm -hmm. so it like 
kind of made it a lot easier for me, you know, at the time. Right. Right. How do you think like all that shit has changed? I mean, you know, two years in music NFTs is about as long as anyone has been doing it. How do you mm -hmm. think like the just the whole ecosystem has changed the way people put out music, like how people are experimenting, like how you get stuff sold, connect with collectors, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I think it's if there's one thing I've learned. It's just that everyone has like a very individual like way to success and there's no like one way to do it you know like i remember like in the early days remember like the first six months i'm not sure like how long you've been around like the web3 ecosystem i'm sure it's been longer than me because my my initial start was straight music nft so 2021 was my year of getting into it you know but i got like really into it uh starting the end of 21 nice. like november 2021 well, that's refreshing because a lot of the people that i do interviews with they're like i've been around since 2016 i'm like all right cool so i don't know <laughs> uh but uh I remember like in those first six months, it was just very much like, you know, you should, you should get into FWB. Like you should get into forefront. You should get into song camp and you should just be like, like rummaging through discords. And I, and, and I don't know that that advice maybe holds up as well now as it did at that time, you know? And I think that the reality is no one has like the answers. I think that a lot of people look at me and like, are like, Oh, I might, I might be the guy that has the answers. I think that for me, I've maybe set up a few, things that have worked well for me, but that's not to say that they're going to necessarily work for other people. Just like something that someone else does that works for them isn't guaranteed to work well for me. And so for me, like my, my, my kind of philosophy with everything that I've done building in web three um, is just kind of do my best to build a blueprint for other people, knowing that someone is smarter than me and someone is better at music than me. And that someone is just going to do a better job, you know? And uh, that's kind of been my best at bats. I don't know if that totally answers the question, but what I'm getting at is just, it's very dynamic and fluid. And I think I've just been reacting for like two years, basically. Yeah. Just sort of trying to catch the wave and just experimenting. Like that's what everyone is sort of doing. Right. I think it's, I think it's basically like, if you look at every drop I've done, all of them have tried to solve a problem that I just naturally ran into in my life, like overstimulated, which was the first big moment that I, my career, like that's when things really took off. That's when I got into time magazine. That's when like all of that stuff happened. Like, Overstimulated was me solving like a very, what I thought to be a pretty simple problem, which was uh, most artists are not in any sort of a leveraged position when they get into their first record deal. So they sign it out of sheer necessity. And in that process, they lose creative freedom and they lose a majority stake in their music. And I was like, okay, I want creative freedom. I want to put out music when I want to put it out. I don't want anyone telling me when I can and can't put it out or wait till I have like a moment to put it out. And I want to be able to own more shit, more of my own like masters than I otherwise would have. Cause I'm not sure if you're familiar, but most of the time in like a major deal, like it's like 80, 20% uh, in favor of the label and it's recoupable. It's recoupable after um, it's recoupable against the artist share. So basically if like a label gives a loan to an artist of a hundred thousand dollars at an eight to 20 split, you don't see a 20 cents on every dollar until the entire song or project or whatever has recouped at least $500,000. So it's just kind of like incorrect. <laughs> I think um, they're like predatory loans. Yeah. But yeah. That's just how the music industry yeah. functions. Like a Mr. Wonderful. It's, it's Mr. Wonderful deal, you know? Sorry. I'm doing not to start my bed. Um, but uh, yeah. So like, again, oh, that was overstimulated solving a problem that I naturally ran into throughout the course of my life. You know, Glasshouse, which I did in July of 22, was like, you know, there was kind of this thing happening in that music NFT summer, I suppose, that like all everyone wanted to get onto the platforms. And it was very 
difficult to get onto them. So I kind of wanted to make a statement and be like, all right, um, platforms are really important. They're like really important for like the discovery mechanism of music NFTs. But like what happens if you kind of own your marketing fund a little bit more? Like how can you take this onto your own site? And I, my, my entire intention with Glasshouse was not to encourage people to do a thousand editions on their own site. It was more to empower artists to be like, if you want to do this on your own, here's an alternative. Like, and here's how I'm doing it. And here's Bonfire. And then and who obviously they've went on to work with so many artists since then. But at the time it was like, they hadn't worked with anyone. I was the first project they did, they did on Ethereum. And I was like, listen, let's, here's, here's publicly everything that I'm doing. Here's me doing this thing with Bonfire. Here's me building this out. Like, you know, even, even up until this round, like that, I, that I just announced, like that was me again, showing that there's an alternative. And then again, I'm not saying that I got it right. And I never want to uh, imply that, but that's my intention with like everything that I do is to just be like, listen, like, to 16-year-old Daniel, you know, to like the kid that was like, you know, fucking had $50 in his bank account and was pulling up here every summer and living off peanut butter sandwiches. Like, you know, you don't have to like give up your next 10 years of your life in a deal, you know, to to wave the flag that you're a full-time musician, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely inspiring for a lot of people to see how you are, um, just like paving your own way here. And yeah, I mean, I love that mentality, like creating a blueprint for others because there are going to be others who are looking for alternative ways to fund their music career. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can name like a hundred of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, big Yerba. I'm a big Yerba Mate. Shout out Goyaki. I'm getting more into Yerba Mate recently. My friends have been trying to put me on for months and I like, for some reason, didn't want to drink it, but it's dangerous. Yeah. I, call it, I, call it, I call it producer juice because every time I <laughs> make good beats. Can we clip that and send that to them? Yeah, sure. <laughs> get a get a Yerba sponsor for you and the podcast. <laughs> That'd be great. Sick. <laughs> um, how do you think about those curated marketplaces now First, like putting stuff out independently? Yeah, I guess that's that's actually a good way of putting it, right? Like putting it out independently versus with a platform is kind of, I guess, akin to putting it out with a label versus putting it out yourself. Right. I think that it, that, that kind of begs the question of a, that begs a broader question, which is this whole idea of like, what is the web three, like top of funnel? You know what I mean? And like a lot right now, the top of funnel is not a conversion from like your web two fans to them knowing that you have nfts i think no, right not at all i mean i've talked to a lot of artists over the course of this podcast and all of them are like yeah it's way easier to find new supporters in web3 than it is to onboard existing fans yeah and i think that I, and that and, and i think that for that reason uh the the funnel right for all intents and purposes is the platform right because like they have i don't know how many active users sound has i think it's probably around ten thousand now something something like in that in that world um maybe a little less um but I think that it definitely makes it more difficult um, to do things by yourself. But I actually will say that it's not impossible. Like you have people like Violetta Zeroni, you have people like Sammy Arriaga who have kind of done things entirely by themselves, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I like I said, I would also just encourage other artists to not, here's the thing, man, like my first year dropping music NFTs, like it was like infinite possibilities. You know what I mean? Like it was like, one day I was dropping some random shit on OpenSea, and then I dropped some stuff on Foundation, and then I and then I fucking did some shit on Mirror, and then I did a writing, I I funded a writing camp on Mirror, and then there were just so many like, 
it was just infinite. You know, there were so many things that I was doing. And I feel like in a lot of ways, the facts that the fact that music NFTs have a little bit more of a definition now is definitely encouraging because it shows a, a, a sign of refinement. But at the same time, I don't think that it uh, is everything, right? Because you kind of have to always think like a little bit outside of the box. And uh, for for me, yeah, I don't know. I think that the curated platforms are very important right now for discovery mechanisms that just simply don't exist anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I don't think that it's the only way to do things, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there is certainly a balance and the platforms are great for that type of discoverability, but like you know at the end of the day the web 3 ethos is like power to the creator do stuff independently like direct relationship with your fans i guess you get a lot of that stuff i mean you still control all the data and stuff with those platforms but again like you know people i think will start well not will start people will continue to do stuff completely independently and and i think there's a place for both of those things for sure um how about like releasing music in web3 verse on dsps the biggest like for the worst part of the whole thing for me at least because well i'll let you finish your question but but i was just gonna say like for criteria like you are it's only on it's only available on web3 platforms i can't listen to it on spotify or soundcloud like how do you how do you view both of those releases and like balancing where stuff is listened to the reality is like i have a lot of goals and I have when I'm playing within web three, I feel like I'm just like in this infinite world of possibilities where I can, you know, make a song and then release it immediately, you know? Whereas I think that there's still there's like I really want like a big record. I've been really vocal about that. Like I care deeply about making, you know, I think if I had to drop all this today, but I could still make music, you know, every day, I wouldn't be like devastated, you know, because that's like that's like always what's been my number one thing. And I've been just super vocal about that. Like me being like the CEO of myself and me being like this web three, like entrepreneur and like pioneer is like second to like me being a musician, you know? And so the reality is like, if, if, if that was the only thing that I like cared about, then I wouldn't even, I wouldn't trip too much about dropping them at the same time. But the reality is like, I have a release schedule that I'm, that I have to kind of abide by to give myself the best opportunity for the most people to listen to the music. Right. And if this thing plays out how I want it to play out and how I want it to play out, not for myself, but for a bunch of other people, uh, that's kind of the world that I have to live in right now, you know, where criteria comes out in December and it doesn't hit DSPs until May. But I think the music industry just works a lot slower than like the web three world, you know? And so, you know, candidly, my, my goal for the end of the year, uh, by the end of the year is to have, be able to be in a place where I can do both in tandem, but, it takes a lot of catch up, you know, it takes a lot of catching up to do because like I said, uh, I dropped a record on sound the other day called caged that I made in Ojai end of February. You know, I totally could have dropped it that night if I wanted to, but I wanted to wait to be strategic to like announce it with like the raise. If I, if I, from making that, like, I don't know that that record would come out this year on DSPs, you know, like, because criteria is February through May probably going to mess with like some criteria remixes in June. And then I start to like, see what that looks like in July. And if I make any good rec other like records that beat that by then, you know? So I think that it's probably the least, my least favorite part of like dropping music NFTs is that it kind of just exists in this one world, but I'm, I'm doing like two different marketing campaigns. You know what I mean? Like right now I've been done with criteria for a really long time. I finished that project with Rio in August 
and I'm dro- I just dropped the first single. And and I had this entire Web3 campaign with this entire Web3 creative direction with like chess pieces and like that whole thing. And now I'm doing an entirely different marketing campaign with DSPs, you know? And so like my, my real goal is like by 2024, everything is can be aligned. But right now it's just one big game of catch up, which is unfortunate, but it is how it works. Are you playing that game of catch up and like sticking to this release structure just because of like how you perceive the traditional music industry and how people consume music. Like you're not tied to a record label that's telling you when you need to put these songs out. Are you just doing that because like, I don't know, explain why you're still following that sort of traditional release schedule. Because you need to give songs an opportunity to be big songs. And the way to do that is by obviously pushing it as much as you can in terms of content, which is like an entirely different beast on its own that takes time to do properly on its own. But outside of that, like there's a certain cadence that consumers prefer, you know, like if you, I think that if you drop almost too much music, you're going to overwhelm like a listener. And I think that that's the point of an album and having singles on, on an album is like, you know, if you wanted, if you wanted, you could have a 12 song album that, you know, you do 12 singles, you know, and then it just becomes an album. But I think that that's just a little bit too much stimulus for like someone that wants to just listen to some music. And so that's just the cadence that I'm, I'm trying to like understand. But I think that if you look at like a lot of, at least my favorite artists, that's kind of the strategy that they've done. And it's something that I want to at least try and give myself like a best at bat to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Who are, who are some of your favorite artists? Um, Skrillex is, is definitely up there. Um, Kanye was definitely a big part of like my childhood for sure yeah same um, um yeah no he's not very like popular to talk about but he's like for me like he was definitely like he influenced a lot of my early taste just chicago in general because that's where my older brother like grew up and i like would spend a lot of time visiting there I, i've loved a lot of the artists that have just come out of their period um plume was one of the first artists that i saw live you know i love odessa but i love like a shit ton of tiny artists you know like a lot of like my my taste in music comes from not those big guys. Like those are definitely like pillars. And obviously when the first Skrillex album dropped this year, I, I lost my mind. Right. But I think that a lot of my favorite tastes are like, you know, the bloody whites of the world. It's just like artists that are like a lot smaller, but you know, I still think that like some of the best music in the world today is being made by like 16 year olds in like their bedroom. So I really try to like spend a lot of time curating what I listen to on literally just going deep into SoundCloud rabbit holes and like trying to find songs that have like 1500 plays, but are just like, absurd because as a dj you want to be the guy honestly that's just like someone has to pull out their phone and sh- phone and shazam it and then even funnier like when they can't even find it <laughs> right like I, I think that that's actually like a like an art you know and and, and so a lot of my music taste it really falls into those worlds but i mean the two buckets are hip-hop um and electronic music so like you know got in you know earliest influences were lil nas you know biggie or not lil nas sorry and like nas biggie ll cool j uh tupac like that that entire era then got into like above and beyond armin van buren and, and like that entire like trance world and then like predominantly like even even pop music man like i, I loved lady gaga because she used to be produced by like blood pop and dead mouse and i don't know just that that entire era of music was like pretty pivotal for me you know but it's like not necessarily what i find myself listening to I honestly yeah. don't even listen to electronic music, to be honest. Like, unless someone big like drops an album, then I'll like look into it. But I don't listen to too much electronic music. I'm like, I'm weird. I listen to, like a lot of jazz and shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you think all of like all of that old music that you mentioned, and even what you're listening to now, does that all 
influence like the music that you're creating like how would you describe your own sound and like just, i don't want to box you into like a genre but like what are the influences and how do you want it to make people feel it's just weird that the way the way the subconscious like mind works because like i grew up so much on on rap music you know like rap music was a big part of of my life you know like i like i said i went to middle school in the projects like i i obviously didn't experience any things that these people were experiencing but i like would hear you know them talk about it you know, and it was, I never really knew what my angle would be on like that culture of music. And Rio was one of the first people that like kind of came up to me and he's like, yo, you could do this like rap shit your way. Like if you, if you wanted to, you know, and he was like, he was kind of one of the first people that believed in me to the point where he was like, I'll be the guy, you know, like I'll, you know, like he obviously with criteria, he was like, I'll be the guy that can help put it out there. And so like, I would say I've done a lot of, I, I'm definitely like an EP based artist or like a project based artist. But criteria definitely felt like one of the moments where it was just like, wow, I'm like really starting to establish something that I that I sonically believe in. That's not to say I didn't feel that way with Glasshouse or Overstimulated. I would say Overstimulated is the first project that I put out that I was like really proud of. Um, but you know, with with criteria, like there was this weird disconnect that me that I kind of noticed that was like, like, why is it that rap fans are scared to like electronic music and electronic music fans are scared to like rap music? And like when in reality, so much of those worlds are like the same, like Trippy Red dropped an album that was 2013 EDM loops with trap drums. Like it's, you know, like that was his entire rage era was electronic music, in my opinion. And like, just goes back to like when I was a kid, like, like I said, Lady Gaga and Britney Spears and Britney Spears dropping Toxic and like, you know, even Justin Timberlake, a lot of that production was very electronic leaning. And so I would say that like my sound without having to say like a genre is more like I want it to be as convincing as, you know, like a pop record or a rap record that you can like listen to like digestibly, but also appeals to like, you know, it also can work in like a festival context, you know? And uh, cause I want, I definitely want a song that people sing all the words to. I definitely want a song that people can rage to like at a rap show, you know? But one of the things with criteria and one of the things with the other projects I'm working on is like criteria is like, I want to be able to play this music just as much at my shows and as Rio can play at his shows, you know, like if he's playing like a straight rapture, like if Rio's playing Rolling Loud, I want him to be able to play like half of Criterion, you know, and same with me. Like if I'm playing Lollapalooza, I want to be able to play Criteria to a, to a crowd that was just after like some, some dubstep act, you know, or like some bass music act. And like, I don't, I don't think that I've ever been good at like, you know, in December I dropped an indie record and now I'm dropping rap records. Like, I don't think that I've ever been good at like necessarily picking a genre um, for better or worse, but I think that that's the through line is I want it to work as much in a live context as it would in its normal context, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's a great blend. I mean, I think like from the artist standpoint, genre doesn't really mean much. And it's sort of just like a box. Like you don't really want to, you're just making music influenced by a bunch of different things. Like you don't really care what genre other people classify it as. Right. And like, it's tough because you don't want to, you know, I don't love the saying, but it's like one that I've heard often and it's that fans are stupid. Um, <laughs> what that, what that means is like, I mean, I don't think my fans are stupid, but what, what, what I mean, what I mean by that, or like what the people who have told me that mean by that is like, look, man, just come to them and like explain what you're doing by putting out a lot of the same music, you know, like house artists. It's like very, it's very simple to be, a fan and this isn't like a knock against john summit but this is like it's very simple to be a fan of john summit because you know what to expect right like you know that he 
lives in like a specific world of 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 dance music right some of it is like and he he obviously like he you know he he moves around in that as well like he has some latin inspired stuff but then he also has like some more like trans inspired stuff he definitely like moves around within that world but generally speaking like john Salmon is like a dance slash like house artist right i think like most people would agree on that he's Whereas, a pretty good case study as far as like branding and putting out music goes. oh he's he great blew oh. the fuck up oh people my god can he's say what they want about him but like his marketing and branding team and like the whole project that he's created, like it's super successful. No, he, he deserves all of it. He a hundred percent deserves all of it. Disco lines, I think does the same thing. Like it's like it's similar definitely, thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like that, like I'm the partier like house DJ and like I execute really, it, it's like the Diplo, like, like storyline basically, like, even though like it has its own flavor, you know? Um, whereas with me, it's kind of like, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> uh, like if someone asked me like, like, you know, if you, what, what comes to mind when you think of like Danielle and music, I mean, right now it's tough to say, but I would hope that the through line is just like shit. That is just fun live, you know? Yeah. That's a fun through line. I mean, that's what really gets me going is the live shows. And then, you know, I discover a lot of artists just from friends bringing me to shows. And then I start listening to the, to the DJ I saw. Yeah, for sure. Um, As far as making music goes, where, how, what, what software is in tech and, stuff are you using to create music man i'm just such an in-the-box producer uh i just use the shit out of ableton and like i have a beautiful studio here in los angeles that i'm grateful for like i have great speakers i have like great mic stuff and and all that is great and like the mic the mic stuff i spend a while on making sure that that's dialed in so when a vocalist comes in they feel comfortable and i can like kind of get something good quick but in terms of equipment bro like i have a synth a couple synths that i just don't use like I am the most in the box producer. Like as much as I love the studio, I've made like my favorite songs in Starbucks, like with some, with these, with the MX 50, $150 like headphones, you know? Yeah. I mean? Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, th- like, this is a great mic. I like never use that. And most of the time I just use this thing. You know what I mean? Like, and I just make artists like, ho- they can like hold this and sit on the couch and record. I don't even make them stand up, you know, it's just like sit over there and record. I'll, make it, I'll, I'll try to make it sound decent. Like, I don't know. Like I, I, I would say I'm a pretty minimal producer in that way because I don't know, dude. It's just like, I I like making music amongst like the chaos. And it's so crazy that I live in a world where I can actually make music anywhere. Like dude, the the project. So ball and five star, the, the, the project that I dropped the mini project, like two, two track project that I dropped with Kevin George. I made both of those songs on a one way flight. Like ball, I made flying back from Miami. Five star, I made driving uh, flying back from Syracuse. Like start to finish, I just had the acapella on my computer. And like, I mean, dude, most of the music that I'm dropping after Criteria was so much of it was made on a plane that I'm I want to talk to my creative team about like having that be a part of the branding because <laughs> like get I your did, own, get your own plane studio with the computer like, and giant monitor. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot that can be done with that, honestly. But it's just like. Dude, I I genuinely, there's something weird to me about like not having an option to do anything else but make music. Cause on a flight, you're not gonna, I don't, you don't, unless the person next to you is like fascinating, you're not gonna talk to the person next. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever really struck up a conversation with anyone on a plane. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're not gonna talk to the person next to you. I never get the Wi Fi. uh, Yeah. You know, cause I, I'm just frugal (laughs) Uh, and, and whatever. It can wait three hours. Uh, 
but so that you don't really have an option but to make music and i and i can't sleep on planes like i've never i I dude i flew to bali in september 24 hour travel day i couldn't sleep you know like Ooh. i'm just not good at sleeping on planes and so like my only option is to make music and so for whatever reason like living within those constraints like dude i have a flight on wednesday and i'm excited because i know i'm gonna make music like it's like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like this weird thing where like i don't i don't i can't quite understand it but every time i'm on a plane like i just make my best music and so equipment wise i don't need much i'll tell you that man i'm mm -hmm. just simple as it gets yeah i mean i've talked to a lot of people who use ableton uh almost exclusively or exclusively and it's like if you can figure out ableton you can do anything like <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. well it's so funny because that's like i like watch so many of my friends who do shit with like photoshop and like all this other stuff and i'm like wow like the way that that you said that is how i feel about them because i'm like uh-huh because ableton is such a like dude it's just like my brain like community like it's just i like communicate via it like it's just like an extension of my brain like i've i've been using ableton for eight years now you know so it's like i I don't think when I use it, it's like speaking, like I grew up mm -hmm. speaking, like I, I don't think when I speak, like you just, you just do it like the same way you speak English. And it's the same thing with me and Ableton. So it's like funny that people watch me make music sometimes they're like, wow, that's like, you're going so fast and you just use that. That's just a song right there. Like 20 minutes, whatever. And I don't even think about it that way. Cause I'm just so, I guess like desensitized to it. But anytime my friends do, do similar shit and they're doing it in their world i i feel maybe the way that they might feel about me when i'm working on stuff because it's just like i don't know i just have profound respect for people who put time into their craft in a way that makes it look i guess like um effortless to an extent yeah i think photoshop is a good comparison like if you can like master photoshop you can create any image theoretically Crazy, you dude, can like, master ableton you can create any sound but also like you're you never will because the because right the possibilities are just like impossibly endless you know mm -hmm. so yeah dude. um i want to do a quick time check are you good if we go over a little bit for an hour yeah, yeah. I, this this was actually the only thing on my calendar today i was just like hanging paintings so. sick all right bet um okay so i'm i'm assuming because we haven't even gotten into the round and we're gonna yeah, talk yeah, yeah. about it so this is okay yeah cool i just wanted to check yeah um have you thought about or looked into any of the AI music creation tools? Like I was interviewing TK the other day and, and one point that he made about those tools and like electronic music production is that they're getting to the point where it makes it easy. Like you say, you don't think, and you just like get shit out onto Ableton, but there's still, you know, there's still a process of like coming up with an idea and figuring out how to translate it onto the screen. But, you know, there are texts to, text to music tools that are being developed where instead of having to click around in Ableton and do all this shit, which it seems like you're probably pretty damn efficient at, but you can just be like, okay, I need this beat with this type of drum and this type of synth and just like, give me a rough draft and then boom, it's on paper. And then you can edit it from there. Like, have you thought about how that type of tech is going to develop music production? So honestly, I'm familiar with like a few of the tools and I've, I understand the general sentiment around it. What I've seen around is like that it's all, this is all great, but it's, you're never gonna, you're never going to recreate the human element. Like you're never going to recreate like the human touch or whatever. And to that, like my response is like, that's why the human touch will become more and more important. I know? totally agree. That's exactly and, how I view it. You know, it's like, I think that, 
if you're a creative who's done creative shit in the past, like you understand the importance of having really good tools at your disposal. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, the music is only good as the person who's using the tools. And and so like for me, like the way that I view it is just like, you know, it's just a tool that some people are going to master better than others. And and I, I at the, the human is still, like, I'm still going to be the one like making decisions on my music. Like I use samples yes. all the time. You know what I mean? Like I'm always flipping samples and flipping vocals and doing the whole thing. And this just feels like a more curated version of that. Again, disclaimer, I might be like a little bit like ignorant here because I haven't done my homework uh, as much as others, but like, that's just like my general philosophical sentiment around it, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's just a uh, development of the tools that people use to create music and, and that human, like some people get all, you know, there's controversy around like if AI music creation will like take stuff away from real artists. And I think, like you said, the human aspect of it is only going to get more important as tools like that get better. Like the person who's actually, there's supposed to be a person putting everything together. Like even with like day, Bali, it's still like your idea of the song that is getting translated through whatever tools that you're using. Yeah. I mean, dude, even, even with like, you know, even with Dolly too, you know, like you have to type in a cool sentence, you know, you have to, like, yeah. you, have to you have to think about, you have to think about a cool way for something to be fed back to you. Like, I don't know. It's, it's right. not, and then there are good artists who can take that and then edit it in Photoshop and yeah, really make exactly. it their own. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I agree. Dude, I someone showed me this website the other day of a like Dolly and Mid Journey prompt sales website. People were like selling prompts to and then they would showcase like the art style and you could like buy the prompt that generates that type of style. And I was like, it was just like, holy shit. Uh, people are already making businesses out of yeah it. exactly like that's what i've always thought where you know people get worried that that type of stuff is going to like take jobs away from people but it's just creating new forms of making money now people are prompt engineers wow that's absurd wow yeah it was pretty crazy wicked um okay all right shifting gears a little bit let's get into the let's get into the round you just did um you know pretty historic i i there's never been another artist doing something like that, at least this early in their career, right? Have Did you like, when you started coming up with this idea, like where did it come from? And were there anything you would look to in the past that was like sort of comparable? Um, I mean, I had been thinking about it for a long ass time because I mean, I would say I started having inklings of this thought like November of 2021. And basically for like a year, didn't know exactly what it looked like, or maybe for like eight months. I mean, because I remember September of 21, I did overstimulated. November, I got into time. And in that window, I like, I like doubled the amount of things I had to do in my life every day, but had to operate within the same hours. So mm -hmm. I was like... <laughs> I still had to get better at music at the same level that I was getting better at music at. But then I had to all of a sudden be on like Twitter and discord, like eight hours a day. So it was like this math problem of like, how the fuck? Like that was the math. <laughs> right. You know? and, and so I, in that, like, you know, like in that place, I already started to think, I started experimenting with it on a small scale. So I brought, I brought uh, Henry on who was doing like helping out at the time with like, community management for the overstimulated stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. That's what like delegation looks like. But that was the first money I made in my entire career. So Henry was just doing that because it was something that he was interested in. 
And it was like a way for him to meet more people in Web3. So it was kind of this like collaborative effort that just worked out for both of us, right? And then basically like my my bandwidth is already 0.5x, right? And so between like Web3 and like making better music. And then I start, you know, I signed my agent. Like I have all these other things happen. Like I, I, I meet my manager, like things start to move for me on the music side outside of, again, outside of just making music. And it really got to a point. And then obviously like we, we live in such a world of like, none of this matters if you're not um, broadcasting the signal of what you're doing through via content, short form content and shit like that. So it was like, it just got to a point where I was like, there is, I wake up at fucking 4.45 every morning, bro. Like there's like not enough time in the day for this shit. And I'm like, I'm sure of it. Like, I'm like, I'm like telling you, bro, like I'm trying. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to maximize the shit out of my time every day, you know? And like, it's like, it's just like, it started to get to a point where I was like, how do I delegate? I need money to delegate and I need money to scale my project. And so that, because that's the thing is like the money that I was making off of my music NFTs, dude, I mean, for a year and a half, I ate, I, I was making $1,000 a month and I was paying rent $600 a month to split my rent with another guy with Russian fugitives living downstairs. Me and my friend Eldar were living in a bedroom. I had $400 a month because it was an Airbnb. So all the utilities were included. I had $400 a month to live. I would spend like $80 a week on groceries and I would eat the same exact thing every day. I would eat oatmeal with protein powder and peanut butter for breakfast. I would eat just chicken with pasta sauce for lunch. And then I would eat pasta with pasta sauce for dinner because it was like 1700 calories and it was enough for me to live. Like, so, so I got a place that was like $1,500 a month in rent, but there weren't Russian fugitives living downstairs. So I was like living in somewhat normal conditions. Right. And most of the money that I was making off of music NFTs was going towards, I, I'm not a big spender, like in, by any stretch of the imagination imagination and but it was going towards like wow i can get like salmon in my groceries now like it was just you know just like things that i couldn't have i guess normally afforded and honestly i had dude i had no money in savings i had like a hundred dollars <laughs> you know so i would take like 50 percent of everything and just always put that into savings and then the rest would be like on my rent and like i was driving more at the time and so so i had to pay a lot for gas and whatnot and like all of these i remember and gas at a certain point was like i remember like minting like end of 21 gas was like $800 at points, you know, like 800 to $600 to like mint. I don't know if you remember that, but that was, that was an entire era. Oh, fucking ETH gas. I thought you meant yeah. you were driving oh, around, driving yeah, around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, that I, price I, went up too. I used gas in both contexts there. Right, right, right. It was honestly just me living like a not like poverty, not, not like impoverished. Yeah. Like, like very low class, like I guess life, which again, I, I wasn't mad at like, it's, it's, you know, that's what my parents went through, you know? Um, but regardless, um, I never all I didn't have any excess money to really start throwing at my project. And even if I did, I did not know how to use it at that time. You know, like it was just me. I didn't have I mean, I had a manager, but he was just like a like a college homie who was just like helping out in between his like, you know, finance job, you know. Um, and even if I got any money from anything, we, you know, we had no idea how to use it. And as I started to build out a team in terms of having a really good agent, in terms of having a really good manager, it's like, okay, if I'm, if I have money now, like if I'm making money off of something, I actually have a few tangible ideas or like shots at goal that I think can really help scale my artist project. And again, kind of ran into the same conundrum that was like, okay, well, for me to have additional money outside of me just taking all of my savings, how, like what? again, like, what are the alternatives here? Like to, to just signing the deal, to signing like a major deal. 
And like I said, I, I kind of did something somewhat overstimulated back in the day, but this, this just kind of became the very, I guess the very clear alternative. And so a lot of what I'm doing with this raise, do I have a sneeze coming? No. Oh, I kind of want it. It's not coming. Fuck. Uh, I really want um, it. Might, it might come back. It's like lingering still. Um, but a lot of like what I'm doing with this raise is basically just like trying to bring myself back to equilibrium uh, to a place which is just like my I want my life to be me making music and me thinking of Web3 ideas because I think those are the only two things that I'm actually decent at. And then outsour- while everything else is happening in the background, because that's I didn't need to raise money if I just wanted to do those two things, right? Mm-hmm. If I just wanted to like make music and think of Web3 ideas, I didn't have to raise money. But the reality is right now I'm doing, I'm thinking about Web3 ideas and thinking about my next project. I'm making my next project in real time, but everything else is happening in the background to help scale my career. And that's a big difference. And that wasn't happening before. Uh-huh. So can you give me like, I mean, the... What am I trying to say here? Can you just give me like an overview of what the deal is, what the investors get? I sort of have an idea, but I'm assuming some people listen listening won't totally know. And I sure. and one thing I want to hear is sort of the difference in what these investors bought into versus like what a traditional label 360 deal is. Because like in a 360 deal, you know, they give you a massive advance and they get a cut of everything that you put out, music or otherwise, but this is obviously different. They're investing in you. It's not recoupable. Um, I'd like to hear sort of your overview of it and then the differences. Sure. So I think the biggest difference, one of the bigger differences is I own way, 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 way more than you would in a standard record deal. Like if you're signing a 360 deal, a lot of the times you're giving away a very significant portion of everything that you make. Whereas for me, like I'm, I'm maintaining like, 87 ish percent of my company, you know, so I still am like the primary shareholder. I still like drive all of the decision-making, you know, um, for, for what I'm doing, but the way that it's set up is pretty simple. Um, it's just a C corp that houses my IP and under that IP, there are four buckets and those buckets are web three, um, which is just anything that I do that's NFT related. It's my masters in my publishing. It's my, um, touring. And it's future ventures that I haven't announced yet, but basically just like a lot of the projects that I will be working on. Um, And yeah, I mean, the reason that I decided to do it this way is like, I actually, in setting up the company, we made it like we, like me and my lawyers, like we made it very flexible where if I, if there's a major partner that wants to get involved with me, if the deal makes sense, I'm still, I'm still just as flexible to be able to do it, you know? And for me, it just became like a, for me, it just became a question of like, I want three years of runway and I want to be able to, you know, so I, cause the other thing here is like, I didn't want to have a, um, candidly, I wanted to be a priority. And I felt like if I, if I signed to a major, like, you know, I've, I've, I've taught, I've had a lot of the conversations obviously. And like, there's no, no shade or anything, but it's just like when ETH is up, everyone's really happy, you know? And, and when ETH is down, everyone is like, Oh, like music NFTs, like what, you know, how's that going over there, buddy? <laughs> So I wanted to always be the priority of myself and have full control over the things that I wanted to do and like always have the autonomy to release whenever, to do projects whenever, but also have the resources to give my best at that to scaling it. So yeah, fundamentally, and I'm, and I'm done answering whatever questions you have, but fundamentally it's just this, uh, these four buckets and uh, yeah, that's, that's what people uh, get exposure to.
Mm -hmm. How did you like set up the the numbers, the financials of the deal? How did you evaluate yourself as a business? Um, I mean, I definitely took into account uh my music NFT sales in the past couple of years, which have been really good, I would say. But the the major difference is like I also compared myself to a lot of major artists that I, you know, that I really look up to. And the reality is, is I'm very in the early days of like my career on that side. You know, I've probably played like, I don't know what the, if the line is 50, like for shows I played in my life. I don't know what the over under, like I, I'm probably taking the over, but barely, you know, mm -hmm. whereas there are artists that have played thousands and thousands. Yeah. And, thousands. and zero festivals. I mean, you really are just getting started musically. You know? I, yeah. And so, and so like, for me, it was just like, there for me I, I felt like the possibilities of what i could do are endless and i don't mean to sound that say that in like an arrogant way but it was just like you know there there are music nft projects that have had like you know north of a billion dollar market cap you know uh and and that the reality is I, i'm taking a bet on that being the future of my music in terms of nfts but i also am taking a bet on like my diversified portfolio of a career which is like having a really deep rooted touring career, like plan not only playing all the major festivals, but in five, 10, you know, whatever years headlining those festivals, you know? Um, and so those are just like ambitious goals that I set out for myself. And like, I I've, I've always rooted it in trying to be the hardest worker in the room. Um, and I guess the people that were involved, believe me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, man. That's, I mean, it's cool to have those people on your side for sure. I'm, 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 I'm sure you guys are all excited about what you have coming up. Yeah, I'm grateful for it for sure, no doubt. Um, are there any specific plans coming up this year that you can talk about right now? Let me. Th I don't want to get in trouble. Um, I don't want you to get in trouble, so you know, air on the I'm side of caution. It's fine. With I'm me. I'm, uh, I'm playing my biggest shows this summer, uh, cool. which is really exciting, and I'm currently working on my next project uh, after Criteria. So the goal is that I will be dropping another project this year. Um, not sure what that looks like. Still kind of in the air. I have a bunch of demos. Want to keep creating and keep like having an understanding of what I want it to feel like. I'm having like some some ideas of what I want the Web3 side of it to look like. Um, but yeah, honestly, right now, man, I moved into a new house and my entire life is getting this place set up to the point where it looks decent. Um, and then I will uh, return back to earth to make mm -hmm. more music. I've only uh -huh. made I've only made like five songs in the past couple of weeks, which is like, oh, like five songs is a lot. Dude, I normally make like, 30, 40 demos, like in that period, you know? So right now I'm just kind of getting settled into this new spot and uh, basically being as heads down on music as I can, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely interesting. It's a, it's a new vibe over here, but I'm still, I'm still learning it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm about to move in like uh, a little over a month, but uh, you know, excited like for a small change. No, no, no. Just still in DC, same neighborhood. It's just like nice to Yeah, yeah. Change I also, a little bit. I also moved five minutes away from my old spot. So yeah. I'm like pretty close, but it's just like like for context, like you're I'm taking this call out of my studio. I have never had a studio. <laughs> like normally uh -huh. it's just normally it's just out of my bedroom where I have like a desk and some speakers. Right now I have like a, a room that has a couch in it. And like, like I've never had that before. Yeah. You know? it's cool. Like, like getting it, I'm grateful for it, but like getting used to this adjustment is just kind of wild. Like, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a process. And I'm, I'm like, I can't work if, if, if the area around me isn't clean and like, that's been killing me because there are like boxes and shit everywhere all the yeah. time. You know? I'm just yeah. Like, it takes a bit to settle in. And I'm, I tried to, dude, I'm like, 
I fucking was like, I'm going to do this in 48 hours. I'm going to, I'm just going to fast track it. And all I did for 48 hours was like set up and clean and realize that it's like, I'm nowhere near close. Actually today is one month that I've been here and I'm, and I'm like, uh-huh. still, still <laughs> where I should be, you know? Uh huh. But I think, I think by, by, I want to do a housewarming like first week of April. So that's like, yeah. That's star. You know, nice, star. nice, nice. Yeah. Set the housewarming date and everything will be good for that. Exactly. I'm spending a lot of time at Michael's right now. <laughs> uh-huh. Brains and shit, you know? Yeah. So. Um, as far as those goals that you mentioned earlier, you know, playing festivals, getting more touring, hit record, like, what do you think are gonna be your keys to to getting to those? Um, I think that I mean, two things. Number one, making sure that I'm like my music trajectory in terms of quality is always kind of going this way, even if it wiggles, you know, just always make sure that there's like a that I'm that I'm moving in like a net positive direction, which is obviously always hard to balance. Um, But outside of that, man, I really a lot of like the spend as a result of this raise is going to be invest an investment in my content, because I think that mm-hmm. I think that my like friends know who I am and they know the sides of me and like my family knows me like you know I would say my friends even know me more than my family do you know and like they all know like you know I guess just like me as an artist and I feel like a lot of the world doesn't and I feel like I have a story that is not like a stock story you know what I mean like I think that there's like a world that I'm building out over here in my little corner of the world that's like you know unique to i guess the way that other people have have done it and i haven't necessarily ever put any effort into amplifying that and i think that that's something that i have full conviction in so i'm i'm obviously really confident in my music but i also want to be really confident in my story really confident in my storytelling and i think that if i get better at that or when i get better at that um then i think a lot of the other things start to follow but really like i, I remember like at the beginning of this year I asked my agent, like, I was like, Hey, like, can you send me, like, I want you to send me the sheet that you're sending to people when you're pitching me. Like, I want to see what this thing looks like. And at the very top of the, at the very top of the page, it it wasn't, you know, Daniel sold this many music NFTs. It wasn't Daniel got in billboard six times in four months. It was reach, um, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And I was like, fuck (laughs) (laughs) and uh so yeah that's that's my biggest thing right now is like reach and trying to build it out because i feel like i have a story that i think kids will fuck with but also like will inspire a bunch of other artists and so that's like kind of the focus right now and hopefully one thing leads to the other yeah definitely i mean that storytelling is is huge people like connecting with the artist as a person and then it just makes you appreciate the music a lot more so Yeah. yeah building out that what what are your like what are your what are your plans for you know increasing that reach and gaining that following like what type of content are you putting out what are you doing to create it so they're like they're like th- i talked to my friend caleb simpson he's he's the guy that's like he's the how much do you pay for rent guy you know mm-hmm. like on, on tiktok and, shit and stuff oh okay and, yeah 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 and he's a homie and he was like um he was basically like you have to have like three pillars of 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 content, you know, like three ways that you do it. And so like, for me, I want to have some in studio stuff. That's more like low key. It's going to be catering a lot more. It's like producers and shit. I want to have one. That's just my shows, which like you were at Denver, you know, that I like, I just like being rowdy, 
you know, at shows. And I think that yeah. it's just like, and I, I think that it's just like such a sick vibe having that many people around you and whatnot. And then the other half is like, or the third one is I, I want someone to just like follow me around basically um, and start to capture like the culture of some of the things that, that we're like building because I don't think that any of this shit is cool until kids start to think that it's cool. You know, and by the shit I'm talking about like music NFTs, but I think mm-hmm. that there's a way to like portray it um, in a way that isn't just like, look, I sold out a music NFT project, you know, like, yeah, I think that like, there's so many hilarious moments that I can think back on, like in the past year that I think people would really just enjoy and like think are different. Like I remember when we sold out criteria, it was just a scene at the house. Like, you know, I, I was playing eye of the tiger, like trying to mint some mm-hmm. Rio, Rio was doing like pushups on the ground. Like people were like, it was just like feral in the house. And like, I wish I had that footage, you know, like I wish I had that like sitting somewhere because it's just like no one, it doesn't have to be a headline that we're like selling out or like making money off of music NFTs. But I think it could be a headline that the headline is just that we're all just having this really good time. Like, exploring this new world that doesn't exist and like we're not like apologies in advance but we're not like tech bros doing it you know we're just like a bunch of artists like trying to figure out our footing and we're like starting to figure out figure it out in a way that like other people haven't and i feel like just documenting that entire thing on camera uh is really powerful and so yeah 100 percent. i mean it deserves documentation for sure like someone showed me uh like wiz khalifa's day-to-days like he used to do stuff like that, documenting everything behind the scenes. I mean, Kanye's documentary was fucking huge. It was just cool seeing like what it's like being in the room. Um, yeah. And that's stuff that I'm starting to do too. Like I work with, with float Dow, who are also based out of DC, like doing experimental label stuff and running studio sessions and putting out music in web three. And at first I was doing a lot of just like artist interviews with them and uh, you know, that came from like me meeting them through the podcast and then starting to get involved and in doing like sit down quick interviews with people at the studio sessions. But um, we just spent a week at South by Southwest and uh, I was talking with with AJ, the founder, about how to bring people into the experience more than just like asking the artists a few questions. And we just started doing like a daily vlog of like, this is us hanging out at the house. This is us on our way to our showcase. This is you know, backstage at the party, like all that type of shit. It just, I think it, um, you know, yeah, like, like you were talking about, it brings people into the story. Like it, it's all about storytelling. It gets people more invested in the music once they feel like they have that connection to the story, really. Totally, totally. So yeah, that's where my head is at with all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I think we're sort of starting to wrap up here. Um, do you have any advice to artists who are, you know, on that independent grind trying to figure their shit out? Yeah, just don't don't cave in to what people want you to do. I think that if there's one thing that I've learned in this whole thing is that you can custom curate your own career and your own career trajectory as long as you open your mind to the fact that there are other possibilities and alternatives out there, you know? And like, if you want to be like a full-time independent artist, the the only common denominator is that it's going to be difficult, but that's it. You know, like if you want to fucking raise money through three of your friends, if you want to sign a deal, like you can, you could do anything that you want to do. You just have to like have the willingness and openness to actually think about it that way and believe that there 
is a way for you to have like a great career as an artist that just doesn't exist within these two lines. I think that there's just such a broad spectrum of things you can do. And like the earlier you box yourself in, the earlier um, you lose the possibility of doing those things. So just like always, always be open-minded and always like explore the possibilities because like they really are limitless, you know? 100%. Yeah. I mean, especially in Web3, like everyone's still figuring out all the different use cases and ways to use this tech to empower their careers, power companies, like power art, all that. So um, it's exciting. Yeah, man, for sure. I'm super. Yeah. I'm, I, I think I don't think I'm like that special, bro, to be honest. Like I, I work really hard. I'll give myself that. But I don't think that it was... Um, you know, anything really like outside of that, like I got lucky with timing like a few times, like when I met Cooper, but outside of that, like I just showed up really often and like it started to reward itself a little bit. And I think that that honestly is one of the more powerful parts of my story because like that is the the through lines, like the buzzword, but that is the through line of like what I did is I just kept showing up and eventually found a way for myself. So like for artists that, you know, might not be as talented. Like I don't consider myself the most talented person on the planet, but I do consider myself someone who like grounds himself and like in, in working hard and like really, I don't know, like that's uh, for, like, I just kind of found a way to do it because I kept showing up and that's what I want other artists to like be encouraged by, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, keep working hard and put yourself in the right, right, you know, the right places and the right, eventually opportunity will strike. And if you're ready to fucking capitalize on it, like that's how you really get shit going. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, Daniel. Well, this was a super fun conversation. I really, I really appreciate you taking some time and um excited to put this out there, man. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. You're, you're really good at this. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I feel like I've definitely gotten better over the course of, of doing it. And, uh, it's so much fun and a networking and education cheat code, which is what I started out to do. So I appreciate that. And yeah, it's been fun. I'm excited to keep it going. Let's go, dude. Good shit. All right, man. Well, good luck with everything going on this year. You know, I'll be following along. Hopefully I'll see you at, uh, you know, something coming up. Will you, will you be at NFT NYC? That's the next TBD. one I know I'll be at. TBD, but probably like yeah. I give it like a 70% chance right now. Cool. Cool. All right, man. Well, we'll be in touch. I appreciate it again. Let's go, dude. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. See ya. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to check the links in the show notes to find and support Daniel Allen and his music. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Lens at the links below as well. And be sure to tune in next week for an interview with Malcolm Levy, the founder of Refraction, a music tech and art-focused DAO that puts events on all over the world.